Chapter Eighteen of *The Nest of the Sparrowhawk* by Emma Orksey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. The Trap. Richard Lambert, fortunately for his own peace of mind and the retention of his dignity, was able to wave aside the handful of gold and silver coins which sir marmaduke extended towards him i thank you sir he said calmly i am able to bear the cost of mine own unavoidable weakness i have money of mine own from out his doublet he took a tiny leather wallet containing a few gold coins his worldly all bequeathed to him the same as to his brother so the old friend who had brought the lads up had oft explained by his grandmother the little satchel never left his person from the moment that the old quakeress had placed it in his hands there were but five guineas in all to which he had added from time to time the few shillings which sir marmaduke paid him as salary he chided his own weakness inwardly when he felt the hot tears surging to his eyes at thought of the unworthy use to which his little hoard was about to be put but he walked to the table with a bold step there was nothing now of the country lout about him on the contrary he moved with remarkable dignity and bore himself so well that many a pair of feminine eyes watched him kindly as he took his seat at the baize covered table will one of you gentlemen teach me the game he asked simply it was remarkable that no one sneered at him again and in these days of arrogance peculiar to the upper classes this was all the more noticeable as these secret clubs were thought to be very exclusive the resort pre-eminently of gentlemen and noblemen who were anti-puritan anti-republican and very jealous of their ranks and privileges yet when after those few unpleasant moments of hesitation lambert boldly accepted the situation and with much simple dignity took his seat at the table every one immediately accepted him as an equal nor did any one question his right to sit there on terms of equality with lord walterton or sir michael isherwood his own state of mind was very remarkable at the moment of course he disapproved of what he did he would not have been the puritanically trained country-bred lad that he was if he had accepted with an easy conscience the idea of tossing about money from hand to hand money that he could in no sense afford to lose or money that no one was making any honest effort to win he knew somewhat vaguely perhaps yet with some degree of certainty that gambling was an illicit pastime and that therefore he by sitting at this table with these gentlemen was deliberately contravening the laws of his country against all that it is necessary to note 
that richard lambert took two matters very much in earnest first his position as a paid dependent second his gratitude to sir marmaduke de chavasse and both these all-pervading facts combined to force him against his will into this anomalous position of gentlemanly gambler which suited neither his temperament nor his principles with it all lambert's was one of those dispositions often peculiar to those who have led an isolated and introspective life which never do anything half-heartedly and just as he took his somewhat empty secretarial duties seriously so did he look on this self-imposed task against which his better judgment rebelled with earnestness and determination he listened attentively to the preliminary explanations given him sotto voce by endicott seagrave in the meanwhile had taken the latter's place at the head of the table he had put all his money in front of him some two hundred and sixty pounds all told for his winnings during the last half-hour had not been as steady as heretofore and he had not yet succeeded altogether in making up that sum of money for which he yearned with all the intensity of a disturbed conscience eager to redeem one miserable fault by another hardly more avowable he shuffled the cards and dealt just as endicott had done now will you look at your card young sir said endicott who stood behind lambert's chair whispering directions in his ear a splendid card begad and one on which you must stake freely nay nay that is not enough he added hurriedly restraining the young man's hand who had timidly pushed a few silver coins forward tis thus you must do and before lambert had time to protest the rotund man in the cinnamon doublet and the wide lace cuffs had emptied the contents of the little leather wallet upon the table five golden guineas rested on lambert's card seagrave turned up his own and declared i pay queen and upwards a two by gad said lord walterton too confused in his feeble head now to display any real fury did any one ever see such accursed luck and look at this nine quoth sir michael who had become very sullen not a card to-night i have a king said lambert quietly and as i had the pleasure to remark before my dear young friend said endicott blandly tis a mighty good card to hold and see he continued as seagrave without comment added five more golden guineas to lambert's little hoard see how wise it was to stake a goodly sum that is the whole art of the game of primero to know just what to stake on each card in accordance with its value and the law of averages but you will learn in time young man you will learn the game doth not appear to be vastly complicated assented lambert lightly i have played primero on a system for years quoth lord walterton sententiously but to-night hic 
by gad i cannot make the system work right <laughs> but already seagrave was dealing again lambert staked more coolly now in his mind he had already set aside the original five guineas which came from his grandmother with strange ease and through no merit of his own yet perfectly straightforwardly and honestly he had become the owner of another five these he felt more justified in risking on the hazard of the game but the goddess of fortune smiling benignly on this country-bred lad had in a wayward mood apparently taken him under her special protection he staked and won again and then again pleased at his success in spite of himself feeling the subtle poison of excitement creeping into his veins yet remaining perfectly calm outwardly the while seagrave on the other hand was losing in exact proportion to the newcomer's winnings already his pile of gold had perceptibly diminished whilst the hectic flush on his cheeks became more and more accentuated the glitter in his eyes more unnatural and feverish his hands as they shuffled and dealt the cards more trembling and febrile pon my honour quoth sir marmaduke throwing a careless glance at the table meseems you are in luck my good lambert doubtless you are not sorry now that you allowed yourself to be persuaded tis not unpleasant to win rejoined lambert lightly but believe me sir the game itself gives me no pleasure i pay knave and upwards declared seagrave in a dry and hollow voice and with burning eyes fixed upon his new and formidable opponent my last sovereign pardieu swore lord walterton throwing the money across to seagrave with an unsteady hand and one of my last said sir michael as he followed suit and what is your stake master lambert queried seagrave twenty pounds i see replied the young man as with a careless hand he counted over the gold which lay pell-mell on his card i staked on the king without counting seagrave in his turn pushed some gold towards him the pile in front of him was not half the size it had been before this stranger from the country had sat down to play he tried to remain master of himself not to show before these egotistical careless cavaliers all the agony of mind which he now endured and which had turned to positive physical torture the ghost of stolen money of exposure of pillory and punishment which had so perceptibly paled as he saw the chance of replacing by his unexpected winnings that which he had purloined once more rose to confront him again he saw before him the irascible employer pointing with relentless finger at the deficiency in the accounts again he saw his weeping mother his stern father the disgrace the irretrievable past you are not leaving off playing sir michael 
he asked anxiously as the latter having handed him over a golden guinea rose from the table and without glancing at his late partners in the game turned his back on them all pardieu he retorted speaking roughly and none too civilly over his shoulder my pockets are empty like master lambert here he added with an unmistakable sneer i find no pleasure in this sort of game what do you mean queried seagrave hotly oh nothing rejoined the other dryly you need not heed my remark are you not losing too what does he mean asked lambert with a puzzled frown instinctively turning to his employer not not my good lambert replied sir marmaduke dropping his voice to a whisper sir michael isherwood hath lost more than he can afford and is somewhat choleric of temper that is all and in a little quiet game my good young friend added endicott also in a whisper tis wisest to take no heed of a loser's vapours i pay ace only quoth seagrave triumphantly who in the meantime had continued the game lord walterton swore aloud and prolonged oath he had staked five guineas on a king and had lost ventre saint gris and likewise par les saint bleu he said the first time i have had a king seagrave ye must leave me these few little yellow toys else i cannot pay for my lodgings to-night i'll give you a bill but i've had enough of this by gad and somewhat sobered though still unsteady he rose from the table surely my lord you are not leaving off too asked seagrave nay how can i continue he turned his breeches pockets ostentatiously inside out behold friend these two beautiful and innocent little dears you can give me more bills urged seagrave and you lose you may not lose after this tis lucky to play on credit and and your bills are always met my lord he spoke with feverish volubility though his throat was parched and every word he uttered caused him pain but he was determined that the game should proceed he had won a little of his own back again the last few rounds certainly his luck would turn once more his luck must turn once more or else nay nay i've had enough said lord walterton nodding a heavy head up and down there are too many of my bills about as it is i've had enough methinks of a truth said lambert decisively that this game has indeed lasted long enough and if some other gentleman would but take my place he made a movement as if to rise from the table but was checked by a harsh laugh and a peremptory word from seagrave impossible said the latter you master lambert cannot leave off in any case my lord another hand he urged again nay nay my dear seagrave replied lord walterton shaking himself like a sleepy dog the game hath ceased to have any pleasure for me as our young friend here hath remarked i wish you good luck 
and good-night whereupon he turned on his heel and straddled away to another corner of the room away from the temptation of that green-covered table we too then master lambert said seagrave with ever-growing excitement what say you double or quits and he pointed with that same febrile movement of his to the heap of gold standing on the table beside lambert as you please replied the latter quietly as he pushed the entire pile forward seagrave dealt then turned up his card ten he said curtly mine is a knave rejoined lambert how do we stand queried the other as with a rapid gesture he passed a trembling hand over his burning forehead methinks you owe me a hundred pounds replied richard who seemed strangely calm in the very midst of this inexplicable and volcanic turmoil which he felt was seething all round him he had won a hundred pounds a fortune in those days for a country lad like himself but for the moment the thought of what that hundred pounds would mean to him and to his brother adam was lost in the whirl of excitement which had risen to his head like wine he had steadily refused the glasses of muscadel or sack which mistress endicott had insinuatingly and persistently been offering him ever since he began to play yet he felt intoxicated with strange currents of fire which seemed to run through his veins the subtle poison had done its work any remorse which he may have felt at first for thus acting against his own will and better judgment and for yielding like a weakling to persuasion which had no moral rectitude for basis was momentarily smothered by the almost childish delight of winning of seeing the pile of gold growing in front of him he had never handled money before it was like a fascinating yet insidious toy which he could not help but finger are you not playing rather high gentlemen came in dulcet tones from mistress endicott i do not allow high play in my house master lambert i would fain ask you to cease i am more than ready madame said richard with alacrity nay but i am not ready interposed seagrave vehemently nay nay he repeated with feverish insistence master lambert cannot cease playing now he is bound in honour to give me a chance for revenge double or quits master lambert double or quits as you please quoth lambert imperturbably ye cannot cut to each other here interposed endicott didactically the rules of primero moreover demand that if there are but two players a third and disinterested party shall deal the cards then will you cut and deal master endicott said seagrave impatiently i care not so long as i can break master lambert's lock and redeem mine own double or quits master lambert double or quits i shall either owe you two hundred pounds or not one penny in which case we can make a fresh start lambert eyed him with curiosity 
sympathetically too for the young man was in a state of terrible mental agitation whilst he himself felt cooler than before endicott dealt each of the two opponents a card face downwards but even as he did so the one which he had dealt to lambert fluttered to the ground he stooped and picked it up seagrave's eyes at the moment were fixed on his own card lambert's on the face of his opponent no one else in the room was paying any attention to the play of the two young men for every one was busy with his own affairs play was general the hour late the wines had been heady and all tempers were at fever pitch no one therefore was watching endicott's movements at the moment when he ostensibly stooped to pick up the fallen card it is not faced he said what shall we do give it to master lambert forsooth quoth mistress endicott tis unlucky to redeal providing she added artfully that master seagrave hath no objection nay nay said the latter begad why should we stop the game for a trifle then as lambert took the card from endicott and casually glanced at it seagrave declared queen king retorted lambert with the same perfect calm king of diamonds that card has been persistently faithful to me to-night the devil himself hath been faithful to you master lambert said seagrave tonelessly you have the hell's own luck what do i pay you now it was double or quits master seagrave rejoined lambert which brings it up to two hundred pounds you will do me the justice to own that i did not seek this game in his heart he had already resolved not to make use of his own winnings somehow as in a flash of intuition he perceived the whole tragedy of dishonour and of ruin which seemed to be writ on his opponent's face he understood that what he had regarded as a toy welcome no doubt but treacherous for all that was a matter of life or death nay more mayhap to that pallid youth with the hectic flush the unnaturally bright eyes and trembling hands there was silence for a while round the green-topped table whilst thoughts feelings presentiments of very varied kinds congregated there with endicott and his wife and also with sir marmaduke it was acute tension the awful nerve strain of anticipation the seconds for them seemed an eternity the obsession of waiting was like lead on their brains during that moment of acute suspense richard lambert was quietly coordinating his thoughts with that one mental flashlight which had shown up to him the hitherto unsuspected tragedy the latent excitement in him had vanished he saw his own weakness in its true light despised himself for having yielded and looked upon the heap of gold before him as so much ill-gotten wealth which it would be a delight to restore to the hand from whence it came 
he heartily pitied the young man before him and was forming vague projects of how best to make him understand in private and without humiliation that the money which he had lost would be returned to him in full strangely enough he was still holding in his hand that king of diamonds which endicott had dealt to him End of chapter 18